Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are learning together Devarim Chamishi, the fifth Aliyah in Parshas Devarim. Our Aliyah is somewhat longer. It is 30 Psukim long, running from Perig Bays in Devarim, Pasuk Aleph to Lamed. The main idea of Aliyah is the neighboring nations. So now we're going to hear about Israel's journey around the nations of the south and east of the land of Israel. Let's do a basic summary and then some points to ponder to try to understand this in greater depth. We hear that Hashem commands Moshe that it was time to move the people. This is ostensibly after the, the, this, this sojourn in Kadesh. And they will now circle the mountain, that's the Har Mori, and they go to the land of Seir. But be careful not to attack the Edomites who live in the land of Seir. That's in the southeast corner under Israel. The reason is that the land was given to Esav and not to Israel. And so even if they are crossing it, they need to rent the food and the water from them. They are not able to just cross the land helter-skelter. That's what we're told in the Pesukim. Why? For 40 years Hashem look, looked after you in the desert and gave you everything you need in the desert. And the Mepharshim understand this to mean is that therefore don't come as a beggar with your hand in your cap in hand. You're going to pay for your water. You're going to be, you're going to be proud of what you're doing. Then they moved around Seir to past Etzion Gavar, which is the area of Eilat, moving to the side of Moab. Moab is the next neighboring state to Edom in the northeast. Well, north of Edom is still in the southeast. Hashem likewise warns Moshe not to create a war with Moab since the land was given to the children of Lot. And we hear a little bit of the history. We hear the land they used to live in was, was, was occupied by a nation called Amim, who were like giants. The Chorim used to live in the area of Seir before Esau kicked them out. Then they were commanded to cross the valley of Zored. And that's what they do. This was at the 38, 38 years later, at the end of the desert time where the, all the people have died. And when everybody had died for the generation, Hashem spoke to Moshe, Moshe saying they should, they should try to go through the land of Moab and Ammon, but they were not to antagonize them at all. That ended up not happening. But he, again, we hear a little bit more of the background. The area of the Ammonim was first occupied by, occupied by a nation called the Zamzumim. Okay, all these interesting background nations used to occupy these territories beforehand. The great, that great nation was smitten by Hashem, and they settled the Ammonim in their place. Just as Hashem removed the Chori from Edom in their place, and similarly the Avim in Chatzerim and the Kaftorim from Kaftor, Hashem resettled all these nations and placed the nations he wanted to be there. There, Moshe was then commanded to enter the valley of Am, Am to Arnon and to destroy the Amorites of Sichon. Hashem explains that this is going to be the day in which he's going to put the fear upon the inhabitants of the land of Israel. Moshe sends messages to Sichon to ask him if they can go through the land. But Hashem tells him he will strengthen the heart of Sichon and Sichon will come out to fight him instead. So a few basic points to ponder. There's a lot, a lot of strange details in this Aliyah, which we don't hear about elsewhere. So first of all, first question is, why are they not allowed to attack these three nations? Why can they not attack Edom, Moab, and Ammon? So Rashi quotes a remarkable Medrash, which says that there were actually ten nations to be given to the children of the progeny of Avraham. And seven of them would be the Canaanite nations given to Israel. However, the three remaining, which are called the Cani, Kadmoni, and Kenizi, actually are the code names for Edom, Ammon, and Moab, also part of the Abrahamic legacy. Edom was as a brother, and Ammon and Moab as nephews. Uh, Edom is a brother of Yaakov, and, or grandson of Abraham, and Ammon and Moab as nephews. Um, of, uh, of uh, coming out of the children of Lot. So in a certain sense, this is all seen as part of the divine hand, which is why you see in this Aliyah the Hashem attributing kicking out the previous nations as part, interestingly enough, of the, of the legacy of Hashem in this area as well. Now, you'll notice 
that there is a difference between the way they're supposed to interact with Ammon and Moab. When it comes to Ammon, they not only are not allowed to attack Ammon, but they're not allowed to even antagonize Moab. Whereas when it comes to Moab, they're allowed to antagonize them, but they're not allowed to go to battle with them. What accounts for that difference? And by the way, this explains why Balak, the king of Moab, was more concerned about Israel than Ammon was, because Israel was saber-rattling when it came to them. You know, they were buzzing them with their, you know, the F-16Is, you know, past the king's palace. And so Moab was getting a little more cautious and concerned, even though Ammon wasn't, because they, Moab was allowed to be antagonized. So what's, what accounts for that difference? So the Gomorrah in Baba Kama, Daflam, and Chesam, tells us that because of its sneos, the extra level of modesty that the mother of um, um, of Ammon, the second sister, um, the daughter of Lot, had than the first daughter of Lot. The first daughter of Lot called her child Moab, which means from father, which is sort of a very explicit expression of what happened that night. Whereas Ammon is a little bit um, a little bit more uh, surreptitious, and therefore in the discourse of that level of modesty, uh, Israel was not going to even antagonize them. It's worthwhile noting that. In the Hagdam, the introduction to, Rav, to Igros Moshe, the, the eighth um, volume of, the, of Rav Moshe Feinstein's Halachic Responsa, he notes a story which occurred in the Yotafresh Pei Beis. He talks about a, a story where he visited an individual who was, de- who was very sick in bed, and this person had a, had a condition where their tongue was swelling up. And when Rav Moshe went to visit this person, the, um, he asked that everybody else leave the room, at which the point the man explained that he was, it was Pausha's Vayera, and it was the story of the daughters of Lot was occurring, and he started talking in a, dis, a disgraceful way about the daughters of Lot. He said, he said about them that, you know, look, here they are, and they're, you know, not only are they, you know, ha- having a relationship with their father to produce children, but they're even calling it their children after their father to sort of, you know, were they not embarrassed about this? And he's spoken in, a, in, in such a way. That night he received a dream, and two very, very um, modestly dressed women appeared in the dream, and they were the daughters of Lot, and they said to him, how dare you speak to us this way? The reason why we named our children in a way that, whether it be directly or indirectly, relates to the fact that they are a product of their father and grandfather at the same time, is because we want to avoid anybody having any other immaculate misconceptions. Meaning to say, there are many other nations which have religions based on somebody who arrived in a pregnancy unknown, and that became seen as a divine um, conception. And that's what they were trying to avoid at all costs. They did not want to create other religions. And they were doing so in a self-negating way to avoid that. And it's just to, that, that's also to be weighed in when understanding this particular idea over here. Now, a few other basic questions. Why do we have this, ju- this juxtaposition um, at, at the end of those who died in the desert and the Hashem speaking to Moshe? So the Gorim Abbas Kuf Chof Aleph, our base tells us that for the 38 years that the people were dying off in the desert, Moshe Rabbeinu did not receive word from Hashem. And the, Rash, Rash, the Rashbam, Rabbeinu Shmuel, explains that on that Gomorrah. That doesn't mean to say Hashem never communicated with Moshe, but rather he didn't communicate with him pe'el pe'er, directly as he usually would. And that is, Rashi explains, on the Chumash, explains that the Shechina, the divine presence, only resides in, uh, on the prophets and the leaders of Israel because of the people. And if the people themselves are not in a good place, then the prophets themselves are not going to receive Emunah as well, uh, the, the, uh, the Nevoah as well. Finally, two last questions. Why do we have all these predecessors of the Moabites, the Amim, the Ammonim, the Zamzumim, the Edomites, the Chori? Why, why do we need to ever hear about all these resettlements done by Hashem before they arrived there? Rashi explains, that's to give the background to these lands, that these, these lands you see now, Israel, are not yours. They're not part of the promised land. 
um, that, that is promised to Israel specifically because they came from other predecessors who, um, who may be giants, as some of them are, but they are not the same giants that you have been promised in your land as well. Finally, one last question. How come Moshe Rabbeinu sent messengers to Sichon, to the king of the Amorite, when Hashem told him to destroy him? So Rashi says, from the words, Midbar Kedemos, Kedemos can mean a place, but Kedemos can mean from antiquity, from times of old. What was Moshe learning from times of old? So Rashi gives two possibilities. One is, when Hashem gave the Torah, he offered it to other nations first, or when Hashem destroyed Mitzrayim, it wasn't with one bolt of lightning. It was in multiple stages with multiple warnings and opportunities to change. So Moshe utilized the same model and gave Sichon a way out. He gave him the opportunity. He was utilizing the model of Hashem um, of giving the way out before getting there as well, which is going to be a very fascinating idea when understanding how Kivu Sha'aretz, the conquest of the land of Israel, works as well. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.